Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 with 13 and 14, and chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Verses 13 and 14, Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Jesus Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. I don't care how many times I see that video, it makes me laugh every single time. It's entirely predictable, and it is entirely hilarious. A little heartbreaking for the little guys, but I think everybody can probably get over that. I hope your shelter in place Mother's Day is going slightly better than that, at least. Even if you started with a less than perfect effort, like with our technical difficulties this morning, we started with a less than perfect effort, we're still here, and I believe God will bless our day through this time together. We have folks who will participate in online worship later. If you couldn't make the live stream this morning because you were busy picking up a bowl of fruit that somebody spilled all over the ground, we get it. We pray for you. We'll give it another shot next week. It's what we do, and there is grace for that. As we spend time looking at how God invites the church and family to work together today, I noticed that there are some spiritual gifts that are not genetic, but I think some of them are nurtured in our family environment. Among the gifts listed in passages that describe the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there is one known as prophecy. That doesn't necessarily mean you can see into the future, but it does mean that you can sense by probably more than instinct when something can lead to good or bad. I've been able to fine-tune a bit of a prophetic gift by parenting children because whenever they're doing something remotely risky, my mind can immediately leap ahead to the absolute worst-case scenario that probably ends with a trip to the emergency room. In simple cases, it's don't get the balloon too close to the ceiling fan because a disabling a ceiling fan with a ribbon of a mylar helium balloon is just a matter of time when you put all those ingredients together, right? But sometimes it's, if you chase each other like that, it's going to end up with one of you crying because you hit your face in the corner, or if you hold your brother's arms like that, he's probably going to jerk and then crash through the plate glass, and trust me, you don't want to have to go to the hospital right now if you can help it. It's a prophetic gift of sorts, and it came from a number of different sources. 
One was growing up in a community with a lot of insurance company headquarters. Seriously, every third person was an actuary and could quote with statistical tables the likelihood of injury or fatality if you continued down any particular course of action. And part of it, I'm sure, was the Holy Spirit. I really do think there's something to that. It is a supernatural gift, regardless of the nurture. But part of it was my mom. When I was a kid, I didn't watch where I was going. I was oblivious to my surroundings. I was blissfully unaware of my own mortality. But parents, and maybe particular moms, I've heard it described that having kids mean our hearts now live outside of our bodies. My mother specifically had that gift of being able to see consequences that I could not. And when I got tired of being plowed into when I walked in front of someone, when I got weary of breaking things because I wasn't paying attention, and when I started to figure out how to look ahead to the consequences of things, I started to pick up on that inherited gift. Actions and choices have consequences and outcomes. A family really does help us think about outcomes about cycles of history, and about possible futures. Great families don't guarantee perfect character for generations to come, and dysfunctional families don't mean generations are doomed to cycles of brokenness either. But starting points matter because they most certainly shape our stories. And that leads to our first lesson this morning. Families provide foundations, not guarantees. Families provide foundations, not guarantees. Some of the hardest marriage counseling I've ever had to do involve couples who came from very different family backgrounds. So say, for example, grandpa was an emotionally isolated and unavailable guy. Maybe dad was slightly less emotionally isolated and a pretty unavailable guy still. Then later on, husband connects a little bit better, but he's a little bit more accessible. From a generational perspective, that's real progress when it comes to emotional vulnerability. But To a spouse in a time of need, that's still pain and hardship. Sure, there is progress, but why can't the partner just be several more generational steps down the road by now? See, none of us is a blank canvas. We all come from somewhere. Some of our baggage is wonderful and helpful, but some of it is filled with dead weight and hurt. Most of us didn't get to choose our biological families. For most of us, that was beyond our control. But if we're people of faith, then we get to trust that God has a purpose for our families. Good, bad, ugly. God has a purpose for moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, etc. That doesn't excuse horrible behavior in families, but it keeps us focused on God's desired purpose. What is that purpose? What does God ultimately want in a family? I think it's to help us encounter Jesus Christ so we can live out a God-glorifying faith now and forever. To help us encounter Jesus Christ so we can live out a God-glorifying faith now and forever. There are aspects of connection and nurture that are a part of family, absolutely, but these are not mutually exclusive principles. When I, I believe the primary and ideal purpose of a family is to help us encounter Jesus so we can enjoy and glorify God throughout this life and into eternity. The Apostle Paul, whose conversion story we heard just a couple of weeks ago, was mentoring and discipling a young Christ follower named Timothy, after whom this book of the Bible that we're reading from this morning is named. It's a letter Paul wrote to Timothy, who is caring for one of the churches that Paul planted, and he's offering some encouragement to this young guy who's facing some hardship. Here's what Paul tells him. 
I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that the same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Timothy absolutely learned facts about faith from his family, but based on what we read here, he also saw a powerful witness of Christian faithfulness in his home. By the way, Lois and Eunice are some really great church lady names, aren't they? In Timothy's instance, the equation worked out. We've got this idea from Scripture that it's supposed to work this way every time. If you're familiar with Proverbs 22, verse 6, we read how it, it tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't turn from it. That sounds good. If we, if we direct our children onto the proper pathway, pathways, when they're old, they won't stray from them. That's awesome. That's great news. Raise a kid in the faith, and when those children grow up, they'll be faithful adults. But even in Scripture, that's not a guarantee. Plenty of families raised in the faith are thrown offline. Plenty of folks who were not necessarily raised in faith had a 180-degree turn in transforming their lives without the benefit of the background of their families of origin. So what does this mean? It means that our role as family is to provide the foundation. Statistically, the family's active participation in the Christian faith is the number one indicator that kids will stay active in their own faith past high school. No other indicator comes close to that one. Kids take their faith commitments just as seriously as they see them lived out in their homes, and that's no surprise. And families will answer for that. We will answer for that. If we're not living into God's purpose for our family, I believe there will come a time when we get to tell God why we did not. A fair amount of research indicates that for roughly the first 15 years of a child's life, the family is the most important source of influence. Some of that is developmental. Some of that is they don't go anywhere if we don't take them. So we've got 15 years to make an impression that will hopefully see them through some of the radio silence years of adolescence when the peer groups step into the key role of influence. Some of us have less time to make that impression now. I know that. I've studied about it, I've taught about it, and Amy still has to remind me to put my stupid phone down and be intentional about the relationship and example I offer to our children. We, we've got to give this our best. The greatest and most lasting legacy that we leave for the future is strong Christian character in the next generation. But if we're living out our Christian faithfulness and teaching our families and setting an example, then it's up to the next generation to answer for their choice to live into faith or reject it. We can do our very best, but there are no guarantees. And that's partly why we need help. And that leads to our second lesson this morning. Faith necessarily makes our family bigger. Faith necessarily makes our family bigger. When Jesus was feeding the more than 5,000 people, did you ever notice in the Gospels what he did when it was time to eat? He had everybody sit in groups of 50 or 100. You ever wonder why he did that? It's because, partly, he knew how people worked. They would only group with their own cliques. They would sit with their people that they knew only sit in the back pews away from where the other people were. A little like what we do, what we get to do someday when we get to return to in-person worship, and we probably just get to sit with our shelter-in-place groups for a little while. Jesus knew that's how people functioned even before sheltering was a necessity. 
we stick with our own. But Jesus wanted people to sit in groups that were larger than just their cliques or their immediate family. He wanted to make the circles wider. And that's part of what the church does in and through us. Timothy had a great foundation in his family, absolutely. But Paul knew he needed more. He says, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Entrusted to you. Paul added to a good foundation. He taught Timothy. He helped him be accountable for his ministry and for his life in Christ. Paul made Timothy's circle much wider. If you were raised as a kid in the church, who noticed that you were there? Or who noticed when you weren't? Who prayed for you? And who prayed with you? Who mentored you and helped answer the questions that maybe you didn't want to bring to a pastor or to a parent? Did somebody else pour into your life in some way? If kids today have five adults in the church who take interest in their lives and faith, again, the statistics show they are substantially more likely to live out a Christian faith beyond high school. It's one of the reasons why having generations together is so important. Adults, I hope you've had some of those folks in your life. Younger generations have always needed adults to connect with them. And as an aside, everybody feels much more comfortable when families invite people to participate in that way, to invite people into that type of mentoring role. It feels a little creepy these days if adults just start taking a new interest in our children out of nowhere all of a sudden. So if you know that there are people that you want to help influence your, the Christian faith of your kids and grandkids, then invite folks specifically to be a part of your team to do that. It's partly the role of people like Sunday school teachers and our youth leaders, but it can't be just them. It's got to be more. This responsibility is more than just teaching. It's noticing and knowing people through building relationships. So who are you bringing up? Who are you praying for? Who needs you to notice when they're around or perhaps when they're not? Our third lesson is this. It's on each of us to stick with it and pass it on. It's on each of us to stick with it and pass it on. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. I never ran track because I didn't enjoy running much at all. I may have been average fast at some point, but I never enjoyed running enough to find out. If we've ever had to learn something about leaving legacies or passing on knowledge or traditions or anything that has to be handed off to another person, though, we've had to learn something about relay races. Each participant needs to be capable and strong in a relay race. Strategically and psychologically, maybe you put your great starters first and then great sprinters second, your slowest of the fast four third, and then your fighter last. However you stack your runners, though, many relays are won and lost on the handoff. You have to be in this specific window of time and space in which the baton must be effectively passed from one runner to the next to make sure that the race continues with any hope of winning. Drop the handoff or fumble the handoff, and even the most gifted individual runner will have a hard time making up for what's been lost. A good handoff is so important. I just earlier this week wrapped up eight years of facilitating a residency process for those who are 
finalizing their, their last steps of supervised ministry before they go under the hand of the bishop for ordination. Residency includes mentoring and successful completion of assignments and accountable discipleship in addition to some collegiality, but when it comes down to it, residency is a handoff. It's a team of people boiling down to a two-year process what these residents need to know and what to be and do in order to share the best of the United Methodist DNA. It's a role that I took very seriously because I believe that I'll also stand before Christ someday and give an account for the ministries that have been entrusted to my care, my family, the churches that I've shepherded, and these other ministries, even including full-grown adults who may be third-career pastors. But I most certainly will strive to be faithful with my part of the relay as Christ's servant, hopefully equipping people for a meaningful and lifelong relationship with Jesus in partnership with Christ's church. These new generations are going to leave their mark on culture, on history, and even on the church, just as all the generations who have come before. As a matter of fact, I think this pandemic has actually given us a chance to see what it looks like to have this process accelerated, as many institutions have been forced to strip away a lot of preferences to figure out the essentials in a lot of different aspects of our lives. It's going to happen with Christianity. Without even considering the current rate of innovation in the world, these new generations will do incredible things to share the good news of Jesus Christ in ways that will probably blow my mind if I'm around to see it. But even if I'm not, I want to do all I can to ensure that future generations will have a brand new opportunity to transform the globe for Jesus Christ because we, as their family of faith, get this handoff right to help provide them with strong roots and strong wings. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, you have given us incredible trust as an extended family through faith. Lord, we thank you that you have knit us together through the gift of Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit that binds us. We pray that we would be faithful in what you have entrusted to our care, that in any one generation, if we fail to do what you've set before us, then it's not the, the church that stands in peril. You will see to it that that continues. But we will miss out on the opportunity to share something wonderful. Help us to be faithful. Help us to share with joy and gratitude what it is to be a follower after Jesus Christ. To know the gift of salvation. To live in that freedom. To experience that joy and to leave a lasting legacy that echoes in eternity. Lord, we thank you for all these things, but most especially for your presence with us that leads and guides us through the ages. Thank you for families, Lord, and for the gifts that come with them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.